From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. The best way to support the show is by booking a Disneyland, Walt Disney World, Disney Cruise Line, or Adventures by Disney Vacation with Dreams Unlimited Travel. Get a free no-obligation quote today for your next dream vacation at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 279 of Connecting with Walt. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling. I am joined by my co-host, executive producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Michael? I'm doing fine. Thank you. So you are fresh off of running from one kingdom to the other and back again. I am, and uh, I'm about as exhausted as you could be. But I, I shouldn't even say that because there was a, there were a lot of people there who went from doing the the dopey challenge in Walt Disney World. Uh, trying to think of like when this is coming out, they went from the dopey challenge one weekend, uh, only had a couple days off, and then went straight in and did. Most of them did the Dumbo Challenge plus the 5K. So they were talking about it a lot during that weekend. Uh, if you did all four Walt Disney World races plus the three out in Disneyland, you did the seven races. You did like 71 miles over basically the course of like 11 days, which I that's just absolutely insane. I am so happy and proud for everyone who did it. But uh, yeah, that was, uh, not me. Not me. But uh, we... We struggled, and uh, obviously, I'm here. So, so we we made it through, and I've got all my medals to to show whatever little bit of success there is from it. And yeah, it was just it was a really good time. Well, congratulations! I mean, that's it's a huge achievement. I know I saw a number of people post on Facebook. You know, they they hung all their medals, you know, on the fence in front of. Uh, the train station at yeah. Disneyland and all that. I mean, it's it's something to be proud of. Oh yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's very cool. And uh, I, you know, for some reason, it was just like walking around Disneyland. I wasn't seeing a lot of people really like showcasing their medals and and really really showing them off. At, at Walt Disney World it feels like during a, a marathon weekend, you can't go two steps without seeing someone else. So. It, just like another one of those weird things where it felt like felt like so many people were just like so casual about the fact that they just made all these big accomplishments or maybe they didn't buy a park ticket so they could go in the park to, <laughs> to flaunt it all off. I, I know some people were leaving like, you know, the half marathon was uh, Sunday morning. And then I know people were like, OK, well, we'll just take a red eye home. I'm like I you're insane for doing that. What if you just your legs lock up and everything tightens up while you're on that plane ride, and then all of a sudden you're just completely miserable and you can't do anything to fix it because you're thirty five thousand feet in the air? That's yeah, not not my idea. So of a good time. So we we opted to 
to have a little bit of a recovery before before heading back to Orlando. But it's uh, it's cool seeing people people uh, that were proud of their accomplishments. We certainly were, and it's a good time. I, I know it will be very successful at Disneyland for for years to come, just like it is at Walt Disney World. As, assuming Disneyland doesn't go and you know get in in fights with the city of Anaheim again and cause it all to shut down for. Yeah. Seven years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, did you see our new version of the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse? I did. What did you so, think of it? I, I feel like I didn't have a great experience with it because uh, we, the, when we got there and I saw it was open, you know, I sometimes living in a haze, I was like, oh, yeah, that. That is open. I I need to do it while we're here. And uh, every time we were walking past it and getting just very close to to actually walking up the treehouse, then like Rory would start getting a little fussy or heck, he was just too heavy at some points in times after we're carrying him for so long. I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't know if I can carry him up all those flights of steps. So uh, I waited and waited and waited. And then finally on our final night, it was like 10 30 11 o'clock at night and walked past it again and rory was asleep in the in the stroller and it's like kylie can i go do it and she said yeah i i i'm you can go i'm not going so i i did it but it, in the in the dark you just you couldn't see a lot of the details obviously inside some of the buildings uh you could you could see, you know, real well. And I, I loved the lighting that was in them too. Loved getting to hear Swiss Capulca at Disneyland finally after never ever having a chance to hear it. It's as, you know, it's, I don't think we did Tiki Room on my first vacation to Disneyland. And then for every visit I've ever gone since, it's either been under construction or Tarzan's treehouse. So I just, it, it was really cool being able to, you know, feel like, yeah, this is kind of like the kind of like the original in a way. And I love the the little Jane ostrich animatronic <laughs> in the beginning that, that just pops up and down. I loved all the animatronics, like in the one of the, the upper tree houses, like the, the monkey that was swinging back and forth inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I, I thought they did a and fantastic the, job. And the birds, uh, the birds sinking mm-hmm. to the Swiss, Swiss polka. Swiss, yeah, whatever, however you say Swiss it. Capulca. Swiss yeah. Capulca. And it, I think it's very clever. And yeah. how now the water wheel, it pumps the organ. And unfortunately, all the, the, the water wheel was broken. Oh, uh, my gosh. Uh, already? Was, yeah, oh, it was not operable. I mean, I could still see like. I could see what they were going for with it, but yeah, the water wheel wasn't working. So that, that was kind of a bummer there, but it, it still, I think they did a remarkable job. I liked Tarzan's Treehouse for what it was. It was not fantastic and it probably should not have replaced Swiss Family Treehouse at all, but it, it's still, you know, it's a cute way to, to showcase one of the uh, lesser Walt Disney animated movies, but uh, this, this was like a home run for me. I mean, it, yeah, it's still not accessible at all, which that's something you don't want to see. But uh, I feel like in terms of uh, paying tribute to the past, uh, you know, having fan service in there and then just trying to capture the spirit of the land, I I think they accomplished it with Mm -hmm. everything they did. So uh, did it take way too long? 
Yeah, it, it absolutely did. And uh, for some reason, it still felt unsafe, even <laughs> with all the amount of time they put into it. But it, it's, well, they it had was to, worth they, the wait. They basically rebuilt the tree. They took it down to its superstructure and then rebuilt it again because they were finding out when they were redoing it that it was the same problem that Tony Baxter discovered is that the branches were starting to, uh, um, that they weren't safe anymore. Yeah. And so they, that's, I think that's one of the reasons it took long. The, yeah. Oh, they, I, I can imagine. They it's... stripped it totally down Yeah, and, and, and it... rebuilt it. Yeah, because you could tell just from the path, like the the way you went up. I mean, completely different from mm-hmm. from Tarzan's treehouse. So uh, I, you know, it it is safe. I, I trust it's safe. Oh yeah, there was just a couple I times so. I was walking on the stairs and I was like, "Do I hear? Do they like pipe in creaking, or is this something <laughs> I'm hearing?" And it's the how wood. fast can I get down the stairs? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it is a thing now at Disneyland where. New uh, things are breaking relatively quickly. The water wheel, the 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 issues they're having with Toontown, where they yeah. It, so I don't know what's going on. Yeah, uh, it, I understand the mechanical issues with it. I'm not as harsh as other people are when there's uh, malfunctions about like that. Like when it's still early on. I mean, if in my opinion, that's when you you want it. I know it's not great for guests who are eager to get there and see it and hope it's in this pristine condition. But uh, I also think of it as the way that, you know, if, if this stuff's breaking down a lot really early, that gives you a chance to figure it out uh, before you set up the expectations like, you know, rise of the resistance, the cannons that, you know, moved perfectly, at least in Walt Disney world moved perfectly for, for the first little bit. And, and then it's just never worked again. And so, so many guests got to see it when it was perfect that, it now has kind of tarnished the the real experience that we're probably ever going to get again. Uh, mm-hmm. The Yeti is another perfect example yes, of I that. I was thinking of uh, that. It's, there's a lot of examples of that in, in Disney parks. And so sometimes I'm like, yeah, it's I would rather them figure out right away if these problems are even able to be solved. Because if they're not, good. Less people got to see it when it was operating how it was supposed to be, and now we can accept it for for how it is, and hope that one day they'll just develop technology that is able to be fixed every single time. <laughs> but to be fair, water wheels—I mean, what they were only invented like last week, so they, <laughs> not like they've been around for hundreds of hundreds of years. Yeah, well, let's hope they get it back and operating quickly. But I'm glad you got to see it. So. Oh yeah, no, it was uh, it was definitely uh, a highlight of being able to to go into Disneyland and do something that I haven't I haven't done before because mm-hmm. so much of that park it's just you know I I've, I've seen it all that thank goodness I've been lucky enough to see so much of it and and do so much there and uh, it's it's nice when you have that that brand new experience and yeah. had it had it a couple trips ago with with uh, the. Toontown editions and now had it again here and I know the next time it'll be probably Tiana's Bayou. I mean it's it's flying here in Walt Disney World and even in Disneyland. It's it's coming along real fast. They they just put up the water tower right before we got there. So mm-hmm. uh that's that's right around the point at Walt Disney World when they started kicking it into high gear 
and and going through fast. So, uh, you know, it's we're in 2024. It's coming sooner than later. Yeah, yeah, that'll be exciting. So, yeah. Anyway, well, in our uh, last episode of Connecting with Walt, we started our exploration of the Living Seas Pavilion at Epcot Center with a look at the original concepts, and then a virtual experience of the original pavilion with a masterful performance by Craig in the roles of all the pavilion and cast member voices. <laughs> there's none of that tonight right <laughs> no there is none of that tonight okay, perfect. i'm i'm asking not for myself i would love to do it i was asking more for uh, everyone who's listening right now so they know whether or not to just turn this off <laughs> no i th- i think everyone enjoyed it last week so. <laughs> sure So our story continues in the mid-1990s when several problems began to emerge, starting with the concept and design of Future World. Its design was popular in the 1970s with large concrete plazas, the brutalist architecture, and a gray and beige color palette. Well, Disney's answer to this was to cover the pavilions with vibrant neon paint of saturated colors. The problems with the park went beyond the visual aesthetic. Of all the parks at Walt Disney World, children liked Epcot Center the least, with its educational dark ride attractions, international cuisine targeting adult tastes, and no Disney characters. Families were starting to spend little to no time at Epcot Center. There was also the financial problem of operating the Future World Pavilions. The plan for corporations to sponsor pavilions and attractions had worked brilliantly, starting with Walt Disney and Disneyland. However, by the mid-1990s, contracts for the Future World pavilions were expiring, and many of the sponsors were leaving, rather than paying hefty increases to renew their sponsorships. This left Disney with the responsibility of funding these huge pavilions. Epcot Center needed the change. The name was changed to Epcot 94, then Epcot 95, then to just Epcot. But Disney had bigger plans, and that would be called Project Gemini. Now, these plans were derived from the original ideas for Disneyland's second gate, called Westcott, which would be a new concept of Epcot that would resolve many of the issues now plaguing the original Epcot and Future World. Westcott would be canceled and replaced with Disney's California Adventure, but Westcott's plans would be part of a massive overhaul of Walt Disney World's Epcot, and this was Project Gemini. The project would include redeveloping the large concrete plazas into discovery land with forested pathways, rockwork, tiered gardens, and waterfalls, which included Spaceship Earth being resurfaced with gold tiles. The educational dark rides would be replaced by thrill rides. Some aspects of Project Gemini were built. Horizons became Mission Space. World of Motion became Test Track, and Soarin' Over California was added to the Land Pavilion. There were a few plans not built, including turning Spaceship Earth into a high-speed roller coaster called Time Racers, replacing interventions with smaller forested show buildings, and adding a roller coaster zooming through a rainforest in front of the land. 
and the introduction of the first Disney characters to Epcot in the Living Seas. But it wasn't to be Nemo and his friends. The plan was for the Living Seas to become Under the Sea with the Little Mermaid. Ironically, this new overlay would have incorporated some of the original storyline planned back into the 1970s that I described in our previous episode, but with King Triton replacing Poseidon and Atlantica being incorporated into the pavilion's oceanic scenes. The Little Mermaid and her friends never swam into the living seas, and the pavilion continued to operate with its scientific theme and sea base alpha. I don't think I ever knew that Little Mermaid was uh, was being thought about for the living seas. I I knew about a lot of the other plans. I I mean, this was right around the time that I was starting to get very active on internet message boards and you know disboards and intercots message boards. All all the ones out there, and you know, I can remember sitting there reading for hours and hours and hours of everyone debating whether or not Spaceship Earth was going to turn into a roller coaster, and and a lot of the plans uh, that you just mentioned. And uh, yeah, nowhere in that do I remember the Little Mermaid. And I'm gonna say it, but I actually wish they would have went forward with this uh especially knowing that it would have mixed in some of that original storyline like you said uh that could have been very very interesting and it would have you know it might have started the the trend in epcot with characters a little bit too early and uh might have thrown some other things off but i'm trying to think about it from the perspective of If we would have got Little Mermaid in the Living Seas, would that have changed the entire look of New Fantasyland? And would would it be okay with us losing the Little Mermaid there uh, in order, you know, to not have too much Little Mermaid? And I I think I would have been okay with that. I Mm -hmm. I love our I love the queue for Little Mermaid at at Magic Kingdom. I think it is breathtaking. It is. brilliance of imagineering uh, but the attraction itself i feel like as it hasn't ever hit me like the other dark rides have uh it doesn't have that instant charm to it that makes me want to go back to it over and over and over again and it makes more sense in the magic kingdom in my opinion than it does in disney california adventure i agree uh, with you but I, yeah, I think I would also be okay with not having it in Magic Kingdom if we could have had it as part of the Living Seas. But wow, that's, let's see, we all learn something new every day. Yeah. I think it would have been a wonderful overlay. I think it would have worked very well in the Living Seas. Yeah. And yeah. at that time, it also might have been done a little bit, uh, with a little bit more grace, you know, maybe n- not like, over the top, pushing the characters everywhere, just relying more on on little touches of adding the characters in uh, versus you know what it, what it kind of is now. I'm not, I don't want to be over, I don't want to like go too far with it because I think they still are able to to put characters into attractions without going too far. But uh, you know, with like Nemo as part of the seas with Nemo and friends, you you could almost argue that they're 
there are almost two in that pavilion. And maybe we will argue about it in a little bit here. But I feel like maybe at that time period, they might have been a little bit more casual and say, okay, well, let's let's get up pictures of the Little Mermaid around and let's incorporate it here and there. But we don't have to make it like over the top Little Mermaid. That they might have kept more of the scientific aspects Mm -hmm. of the sea base. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean in there. And there were more practical problems with the design of the pavilion that could not be ignored by the mid-1990s. The saltwater environment can be harsh. Anything submerged in the tank can begin to dissolve, including the walls of the tank, which was exactly what was happening. CH2M Hill was the company hired to find a solution. They developed special cathode ionizers for the tank to remove charged particles from the water to lower the amount of corrosion. Now, this was new technology, and they, along with the Walt Disney Company, developed a process to increase building longevity in Florida and other hot and humid environments based on their work with the Living Seas Pavilion. United Technologies reportedly tried getting out of their sponsorship contract in 1991 when they closed their pavilion lounge and conference center. In January 1998, they ended their sponsorship. All references to United Technologies was removed. In the pre-show area, the United Technologies message and logo were removed, and the countdown time slides were extended. One of the two pre-show theaters was closed. In the revamped introduction, guests could choose to enter the remaining theater to the briefing room or choose to take a path directly to the hydrolators that cut through the former second theater. I can remember doing that. Mm-hmm. I can too. <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I know I definitely watched the, the pre-show theaters, but I can also remember just scooting right by that the same way as leaving maelstrom being like okay once every couple years we'll watch the we'll watch the movie but let's just scoot across the back of the the theater and just make our way out of here yes yeah i agree so without a sponsor disney spent very little to maintain the pavilion and the neglect began to show and the pavilion came to be called the dead seas by guests In 2002, the sea cabs were closed and boarded up. After exiting the hydrolators, guests were directed to an existing hallway bypass, then went into Sea Base Alpha through a side entrance on the lower level. In 2004, the Atlas show in Module 1C and Jason in Module 1D were closed and boarded up. Meanwhile, The Walt Disney Company's relationship with Pixar Animation Studio was growing. Disney had agreed to distribute Pixar's first three films. However, the relationship between Michael Eisner and Steve Jobs was cooling as they signed a contract for the next three films when Pixar demanded a bigger share of the profits and to retain ownership of their films. Michael Eisner was confident Pixar's fourth film would be their first failure. But when Finding Nemo earned $940 million at the box office, the Imagineers knew just where Nemo could find a home in their parks. Imagineer Jerry Kirk was assigned the dual row 
role of project and construction management to oversee the reimagining of the Living Seas Pavilion. In December 2003, just six months after Finding Nemo's success at the box office, the first changes appeared in the Living Seas Pavilion. The exterior of the pavilion was slightly changed and Finding Nemo merchandise was added to the gift shop. In 2004, the now-closed modules 1C and 1D were replaced with Turtle Talk with Crush and Bruce's Shark World Playground. In Turtle Talk with Crush, guests are invited into an aquarium for a face-to-face encounter with Crush, the laid-back sea turtle from Finding Nemo. Presented through live digital puppetry, Crush interacts with guests in real time, referring to them by name, asking and answering questions about the human world and turtle world, and more. The show was an early test of Imagineering's Living Character Initiative. Bruce's Shark World Playground features interactive displays where children can test their knowledge, and and it also features a photo op with Bruce. Guest response to Turtle Talk with Crush was beyond Imagineering's wildest expectations. Guests would queue up at the hydrolator exits to backdoor themselves into the pavilion to see Crush. The attraction was soon featured on billboards for the park. As a result of the success of Turtle Talk with Crush, Imagineering was given the approval and funding to renovate the whole pavilion. That's wild that Turtle Talk with Crush had such a massive impact. Uh, Because for me, it's always been kind of an afterthought. I was too old uh, by the time that it was implemented to really appreciate it for what it is. And I mean, I do now as an adult uh, outside of, you know, seeing kids happy. But the the digital puppetry with it really is is cool technology. And I I feel like Disney has always kind of held back on how far they can go with it. You know, they, they got into their lanes with it where they're they're comfortable using it, but don't wanna don't wanna push the boundaries and that's okay. But I you know, it's I, I'm impressed with it from a technological standpoint, but it's never really it's never really hit me in a in a bigger way because just too old but i've seen so many videos on social media you know reels tiktoks uh that people are still loving Mm -hmm. turtle talk with crush to this day and you know every time they they trip up crush with uh with a question or you know kid asking something inappropriate that, that stuff's always going viral so it's uh, yeah, I'll give them credit. It still has relevance now, uh, even even if it's not for me. It's there's for a lot of people out there. You know, we Carol and I loved taking our granddaughter to it when she was little at Disney's California Adventure, and actually, it became a show that even if our granddaughter wasn't with us, it was one that Carol always wanted to go to, and I enjoyed it. I I thought that the puppeteers are so creative. And the way they can just think and respond. And and I do enjoy the show because, you know, it's new every single time because it's based on guest experience. And then they do have some segments that are, you know, that they, you know, drop in and all that that are the same. Like, you know, when he finds the Buzz Lightyear toy and things like that. But still, even that, 
you know, he still responds to the audience when he finds that sometimes differently. But I, I think it is so incredibly clever and that um, I, I enjoy that show. And, and, and it's another one. It fits better in The Living Seas than it does in uh, Disney's California Adventure. But it's, it's still brilliant. Absolutely yeah, it, brilliant. They've always been able to find great uh, improvisational actors to be able to step in and do that. And I mean, that's uh, that's one of the fundamentals of, of Brian Henson, Jim Henson's son, is, uh, you know, learning how to be able to improv in puppetry. And that's why they do their their puppet up improv shows there uh, every every now and then at the Jim Henson Studios. It's, uh, you know, all, a lot of the outtakes you see from Muppet, uh, from the Muppet shows, the Muppet movies, Emmett Otters. That's it's just it's just all of those original Muppeteers who were also so good at improv. And so mm-hmm. when you, when you mix those skills with puppetry, I mean, you can, you can make magic and they definitely do make they magic do. at turtle talk with crush. I agree with you. I agree with you. And that's why I enjoy that show. Even if I'm not bringing a child to it. So it's a lot of fun. On August 21st, 2005, the Living Seas Pavilion closed to the public. Parts of the pavilion would reopen as it was completed over the next year. But behind ever-rotating construction walls, the pavilion was being reimagined. On October 19th, 2005, the pavilion reopened with a new name, the Seas with Nemo and Friends, as part of the first phase of the renovation. It would officially reopen to the public in 2007. The entrance mural now included silhouettes of the Finding Nemo characters and the sunset imagery was removed. The mine, mine, mine seagulls from the film stand guard outside the pavilion entrance, serving either as a welcome or a warning (laughs) to guests. I do like them. I I, I like that. I mean, it, it was fine. It was fine. I I'm not, really I'm not gonna complain too much. I really like I liked it when they added them to the submarine voyage lagoon in Disneyland. I think at Disneyland they fit in well. So uh we'll give a point to Disneyland Resort on this. So uh keeping track. Walt Disney World has two points uh for Little Mermaid making more sense and Turtle Talk with Crush, and now Disneyland has one for for the submarine voyage. <laughs> <laughs> The exit hydrolators were gone and replaced with sliding glass doors for which, for a while, they served um, as both an exit and entrance for guests who just wanted to see Turtle Talk with Crush. The new sea base area no longer had the future industrial theme as if it were on the ocean floor. The walls and many of the old details were simply painted over with metallic blue. Murals of the Finding Nemo characters were added and the signs were themed to the look of the film. The entrance hydrolators were also gone and replaced by an extended queue. The section with the history of diving was redone to be a beach side boardwalk leading up to the lifeguard stand of Coral Caves Beach. The new queue leads guests from the beach beneath a pier to under the sea using special effects, lighting, and set pieces to basically take guests on the same journey as their hydrolators without having to operate and maintain them. 
I have a story. I think I've shared it before. The first time Carol and I went into the revamped Living Seas Pavilion, as we walked through this queue, I saw on the floor, it looked as we went deeper and deeper and we went, you know, beneath the pier and I saw there was water on the floor. And I thought, wow, this is really getting realistic. And then as we kept going further, there was more and more water. And I thought, okay, there's something going on here. This is, I was, I was like really confused. Well, it turned, then we got to where the, um, where the sea cabs had been and there there were cast members with big mops and towels well it turned out the tank had sprung a leak and they were they were in the process of evacuating the pavilion and we were just coming in and they asked they asked us to uh exit and all that but i was really flabbergasted by how realistic are they going to get here in the skew yeah that's (laughs) that's a story Uh, you'll never forget that yeah yeah it was wild the third hydrolator space its loading area and the primary briefing room were used to extend the pavilion's existing sea cab attraction that had been boarded up The simple Caribbean reef ride was extended with 280 feet of new track, which nearly doubled the ride, resulting in a five-minute dark ride with nine show scenes to welcome guests into the pavilion's sea base. The sea cabs were rethemed to be clammobiles. Technology first used in the retheming of Disneyland's submarine voyage into the Finding Nemo submarine voyage enabled the animated characters from Finding Nemo to not just populate the reef around the ride, but to appear to swim with real fish in the ride's finale in the large saltwater tank. By taking over the additional space, the ride gained enough track to tell the story of Nemo being lost in the ocean again before being reunited with his father, Marlin. So in this version of the ride, guests board their own clammobiles and embark on a journey into the sea to join Marlin, Dory, and the other characters from the film as they search for Nemo, who has once again become lost. We first travel through a coral reef where we find Merlin the Clownfish searching for Nemo. Farther along the reef, we meet Mr. Ray and his students who set out to explore and look for Nemo. Dory soon joins Marlin in the search and they they come upon a group of jellyfish. Suddenly, out of the darkness comes an anglerfish that begins to chase them frantically. We dive deeper and come upon the wreck of a massive submarine that sits in the center of a deadly minefield. Peeking out from the wreck is Bruce the Great White Shark and Chum the Mako Shark, trying to coax Nemo out from his hiding spot. They assure him that fish are friends, not food, in their devious voices. Our clammobiles are then swept up into the EAC with Nemo crushed and squirted. The current empties empties us out into the saltwater tank where Nemo is reunited with his friends. As they sing a closing song in the big blue world, the clammobiles arrive at the sea base. The entire tunnel through the tank portion of the former sea cabs ride 
is used, but the view of the tank is blocked and replaced by a large continuous projection recreating the East Australian current for the encounter with the sea turtles. The final windows of the tank are used and the Pepper's ghost reflection is utilized to give the appearance of the Finding Nemo characters swimming inside the tank. The characters sing the ride's theme song, Big Blue World, from the Finding Nemo musical stage show at Walt Disney's Animal Kingdom. Guests disembark their clammobiles at the same place as they did in the original sea cabs. I don't think I ever realized how uh, how short the original Sea Cabs attraction was. Uh, it always felt like, you know, at least from my memory, it felt like you were on that attraction for for quite a bit of time. So knowing that they had to extend it for Finding Nemo, that's uh, kind of another surprise for me. And uh, I, I mean, they clearly found a way to do it uh pretty flawlessly i minus minus the entire uh east australian current which you know that does feel like i'm sure there's something i'm supposed to be seeing in here uh behind <laughs> this you know the area that's blocked off but i can't it, it just kind of gives those same vibes as is spaceship earth as, you, as you're making your ascent down, like I'm pretty sure something was here and I just can't see it now, but yeah, and, ever- it's, and it's still behind those black curtains. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, uh-huh. that's the only thing I'd say about, about the attraction in general, but uh, everything else they added to it. I mean, it, it, it fits in and mm-hmm. I, I feel like, you know, it's not the most exciting attraction, but it's at least successful of making you feel like you've you've been transported, especially when you, you enter from outside and you do start that journey above and, and go through the queue, like you said, from the, the beach to the pier to going underwater and then to end in the entire sea base alpha living seas pavilion. Like it, it just it still works. It, mm-hmm. it works really well. Yeah, I agree. I think it does a good job. And now, okay, now comparison. We have the uh, Finding Nemo submarine voyage, and now we have the, this, uh, you know, the new um, Clammobile version here uh, that enters into into Finding Nemo, the the seas with Nemo and friends. What do you? How do they compare? I see this is tough because I if you ask me which one would I rather experience it would be the submarines but I will say that you know the submarines do have their downside too of crawling down those stairs and being shoved in like like a sardine can it, it, it's not comfortable the clambobiles are, are much more relaxing and enjoyable but something about the submarine voyage that the story that they tell uh throughout the entire journey ending with the uh, with the somewhere beyond the sea just kind of mm-hmm. playing lightly on there i don't it, something about it it all it all works very well minus the ride vehicle but I like I like how you experience it better. I for me the submarine voyage gets gets the nod here. I do like the submarines. I like the whole, you know, it's so unique. I mean, where else do you ride submarines like that? And you know, you are underwater, and 
it's, you know, that, you know, you're in the lagoon and it's, I don't know. I, I just think it's a, it's a great experience. They're both very different, but uh, because the storylines are slightly different, but uh, yeah, I, I love the submarine voyage. And yeah. so I, 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 I'll give I, it I, the submarine. I, yeah. I would, I'd get, I, yeah, the points go for the submarine voyage, I think, no, at no. Disneyland. With Wait, this one. Two, two then. <laughs> yeah. Both are really well done, though. Both are really well done. Yeah. It's, it, it gets an honorable mention here. Mm-hmm. So it, it came about as close as you could get to winning without winning. <laughs> now, by 2007, Turtle Talk had become popular enough to move out of Module 1C and into the larger Module 1A. An opening was cut into Module 1A, and a connection hallway was made into what was currently the old theater of the original attraction to serve as an extended queue space. Turtle Talk's old module space was reverted back into the tank displays that had previously been in that location, but also has the old show screen, which displays a continuous screensaver of a digitally rendered ocean vista. Other attractions and modules in the pavilion include Mr. Ray's Lagoon, where you can view and learn all about stingrays. Bruce's Subhouse, and this is a hands-on play area for children featuring the more menacing characters from the film. And that photo op of Bruce in which you climb inside his mouth is still there. Sea Base Alpha, you can still watch the divers go through the airlock in and out of the tank. And there are artifacts used in diving that you can um, see and touch. And then there is the manatee exhibit where you learn how Disney nurses rescued manatees back to health. On March 1st, 2022, a complimentary scavenger hunt called Finding Dory's Friends was added to the aquarium, themed to the 2016 sequel, Finding Dory. So you may um, use a complimentary booklet to go on a scavenger hunt around the aquarium by looking at the informational signs in the exhibits to find Dory's friends by solving rhyming puzzles based on Dory's singing and of course, these are marine species that are actually in the aquarium itself. Now, although Nemo and his friends weren't the first Disney characters to take up residence in Future World, that would that distinction would go to Timon, Pumbaa, and Simba in the Land Circle of Life film. The Seas with Nemo and Friends was the first time an entire pavilion was taken over by Disney characters. So, Craig, what are your thoughts about the transformation of the Living Seas Pavilion into the sea with Nemo and friends? I feel like we've kind of tackled it a lot as we've been making our way through here. Uh, it's, it is definitely successful in terms of, of what it is. The ride is entertaining and really doesn't ever have too long of a late a wait to to the point that you feel like you're you're wasting your time uh, turtle talk with crush is entertaining uh, you still have all of the accessibility of moving around the the entire sea uh, base alpha area and still being able to see into the tanks and see you know, dolphins swimming see all see all the sharks that are in there see all the fish like you still uh, you still get to see so much of it so i feel like it's a it's a happy marriage in terms mm-hmm. of the 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 balance and yeah we we lost 
we lost the hydrolators with it, which that is absolutely a shame because that sold the entire story. But granted, if the story's changing, I, I guess you don't need it. But um, even man, even if they could have left like hydrolators, it still would give you that bouncing floor feeling, and it, it goes nowhere. But for nostalgic purposes, if you could just go and stand in there. <laughs> experience it uh there'd still be people lining up to do it every single day uh so i I feel like yeah lost some good things with it but overall uh more more positive came out of changing it than than you know what what could have happened it could have potentially been a lot worse it could have been even more in your face than it is it it, they could have they could have done a number with it, and I feel like they they still didn't go all out with it. But uh, I yeah I'm 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 okay with it. But I I would also accept them moving away from Nemo and Friends and going back more towards the the classic purpose of the building space. But they're not going to do that. No, no, no. Um, I agree with you. I I think that they did keep a lot of the scientific aspects which I'm happy about. And, you know, and and we know now that they're not going to build anything that doesn't have characters or, you know, intellectual property in there. So I think they did a good job blending in Nemo and his friends in there. So, yeah, for, for sure. And I mean, at, at Epcot, I feel like you have, you know, there there are some comparisons here and there with other stuff. I feel like another easy one is uh, Grand Fiesta Tour and the you know putting in uh, putting in the three caballeros with that. And I I feel like Nemo is more successful than that is because I don't feel like I understand the culture of Mexico better by adding in the three caballeros having high chinks. Uh, as they <laughs> bounce around the country and you know, just it doesn't really paint a, a solid picture for it. But with with the seas, you know, outside of the attraction portion and and turtle talk, when you are in that rest of the pavilion exploring, talking to the cast members, you're you're still getting something beneficial from it. And mm-hmm. you're getting that extra Epcot charm, which is why so many of us from the 80s and 90s loved it so much because it, it did have that that little extra something special. So it's still there. I'm, and that's that, that's all you would want. We can't complain about it uh, until they completely take it away and say, you know what? We don't need that. Let's just have recordings set up that tell you what's happening every now and then rather than having cast members be there and share their love of of the seas and, and all the animals that are there to, you know, to learn more about them. Um, uh, let's hope that doesn't happen. Please, please, Disney, don't listen and <laughs> replace cast members with with speakers. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. But and you you talked about this last week uh, is that. They do have some wonderful experiences that you can sign up for at an added cost. These are the Epcot Sea Adventures. They have Dive Quest. This is a two-hour experience. You spend approximately 40 minutes on your dive in the saltwater aquarium. And then you also get a backstage tour to see the inner workings of the aquarium. And you have to be scuba certified to participate. 
in this. Then there's the one that you mentioned last week, Craig, the Dolphins in Depth. This is a two-hour experience. You'll talk to experts who care for and work with the bottlenose dolphins every day, and you get a better understanding and appreciation of the dolphins. And so the experience includes interacting with the dolphins in waist-deep water for about 30 minutes. So you want to be sure to bring a bathing suit if you want to enter the water. You can view the backstage areas and learn about the dolphin care program, learn about training and research sessions with marine mammal specialists, and participate in conversations about global issues that affect ocean life. You don't need to know how to swim, and you um, don't have to be scuba certified to take part in this experience. So you can go on to the, the, the Disney website, Walt Disney World website, and and sign up for these and i would imagine they probably fill up pretty quickly i i would too i mean i'm i don't know what the price points are but uh very very unique experiences and you know there are many ways to get to see backstage areas of disney uh legally and illegally and uh i i think that at least for this pavilion uh that's two very very cool ways of being able to uh being able to see backstage in in a way that you know not everyone is lucky enough to do so definitely check them out Mm -hmm. yeah i agree um this pavilion also has a restaurant this is uh, the it's the coral reef coral reef restaurant that opened up with the pavilion, and it has a relaxed atmosphere. We talked a little about it last week. It has a variety of seafood on its menu, and it was considered one of Epcot Center's marquee restaurants when it opened. It's located to the right of the main entrance to the Living Seas. There's a walkway that leads to the glass door entrance of the restaurant. Um, and I know I get confused that walkway because back in the day, that also connected to Communicore West. And I still want to take that walkway and go there. But w- but when Interventions replaced Communicore, the walkway was removed. So um, just inside the original restaurant was a hallway with benches lining the curved walls. Two monitors displayed the menu. At the end of the hallway was a counter where guests could check in. It would be called up to be seated. Inside the restaurant, there are four large windows where you can view the, uh, the, the animals, the aquatic life that are swimming by in the main coral reef tank. And the tables are arranged along four tiers so that everybody has a great view of the aquarium in there. On August 10th, 1998, the restaurant was closed for major renovations. Now, as it was being renovated, the restaurant operated in the Living Seas VIP lounge. And when the restaurant reopened on September 14th, 1998, um, after a $1.5 million renovation, it brought the priority seating check-in counter up to the front to the left of the entrance The bright colored broken tiles replaced the carpet and lighted panels now line the walls. So there was a brighter atmosphere that was carried through to the dining room. Tables still are in the same place on tiers. And some of the sea life you can um, view during your meal include the brown shark, cow nose ray, green sea turtle, the tarpon, the grouper, and the occasional scuba diver. Maybe you'll even see Mickey Mouse scuba diving. In your tank. Uh, 
he is there every now and then. So we saw yeah, him I, once. I I don't know if I uh, I I don't know if I ever knew that they were utilizing the VIP lounge when it was closed for the renovation. But also too, I I didn't realize that it had been majorly renovated. One of those things I think I've. I was always so fixated with looking at all of the sea life in there that didn't really take in the details of the restaurant while I was in a uh, I was a kid. So just kind of assumed it was the same, it's the same now as it was back then. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, another another new fact for me today. Learning yeah. learning that, and uh, but that was also during a gap when we didn't come to Walt Disney World. So I'll give myself a pass for not mm-hmm. knowing when Coral Reef went through a a very expensive renovation at one point in time, but I, I still love this restaurant. It's, it will always be just a full blown nostalgic trip for me every single time. And, you know, that's because we used to eat there every single vacation. It just, it was always one of our families go to, not even because of necessarily the quality of it. Just, just loved being in that atmosphere and environment. It's not, not a lot of places I know of that you can, you can eat in a place just like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember we ate there on our honeymoon and I, I loved the the butter was in the shape of Mickey mouse, (laughs) the Mickey mouse (laughs) icon. And I wanted to buy a butter mold so much so that I could create it somehow. I don't know if they still do that. And they, I haven't been there in years and years. I I need to get back there soon. I, the, the one thing I'll at least give it credit for: the menu does not change very long, uh, change very much over the years, and it's not a super expensive restaurant either compared to other Disney restaurants. So, yeah, it's, it's I. If you've never been there before, I would absolutely say give it a shot, and you know, just go in with managed expectations, and I, I think I think you'll walk away enjoying it. But if you also say I hate seafood, then uh, just stay away. It's a <laughs> it's a restaurant that's up against an aquarium. What do you expect? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'll have to eat there next time I go. It has been yeah, it's been forever for me since I've eaten there. We mentioned the VIP lounge. This is used for private events such as weddings and conventions. The lounge is a long curved room with wooden panels. One side has floor to ceiling windows and it looks into the aquarium. And then it also has an acrylic glass see through piano. And I've been in here. I think one of the tours I took, I went into that lounge. It is beautiful. So, yeah, it, it's I've an amazing lounge. Been there a handful of times. Uh, they, uh, they, um, used it for dreams has used it for some of our uh, travel agent familiarization events before so if i can say i've done classroom work inside the the vip lounge and had a couple like little media things in there too it's it's a beautiful space the only thing i'll say is like for me I wish, like, you know, it's, you get the great view of the tank, but I wish it was almost at the same level of, as the, the viewing areas inside, uh, inside Coral Reef and in the main part of the seas. It's, it, it's small. It's, it's not my favorite of the Epcot VIP lounges, but, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a unique one. Just, mm-hmm. just not my favorite. <laughs> yeah. So we hope our series on the history of the living seas and the seas of Nemo and Friends Pavilion will enhance your future visits to Epcot. Uh, 
And remember, our travel agents at Dreams Unlimited Travel can help you book your next vacation to Walt Disney World that will hopefully include, you know, a visit to the seas with Nemo and friends. And you can tell your friends and family all about the history of the pavilion and just, you know, dazzle them with your knowledge. But now it's time for this week in Disney history. Okay, Craig, since uh, I started last week, would you like to start this week? I, I can start. I'm worried, though, that I'm going to take yours. Um, I, I have a backup just in case. <laughs> so I, I can tell you already, though, I'm definitely in January. So okay. I'm, I'm, I'm positive about that. But there's there was one that jumped out to me automatically, and I have a feeling it's the same one as you. So I'm going to let you start just in case. Oh, okay. Well, mine is January 21st, 1930. Hmm. So is it not a problem? Not a problem. Okay, so I should continue then? Okay. You can, yeah. Well, Walt Disney is in New York, and as he is there, he is um, animator, his chief animator and good friend of iWorks lets Royo Disney know that he wants to leave the company as soon as possible. This, of course, stuns Roy, but he offers up $5,000 for his 20% share of the company. Now, what Roy doesn't know is that Ub has been lured away by film distributor Pat Powers, because Powers um, wants Ub to start an animation studio of his own. Well, Coincidentally, Walt is in New York confronting Powers over royalty money that Powers owes him um, due to the Mickey Mouse shorts that Powers distributed. Two years earlier, Pat Powers had sold Walt Disney the Cinephone system so that Walt could make sound cartoons like Steamboat Willie. But unable to find a distributor for the sound cartoons, um, the Disney Studios began releasing their cartoons through Powers Company Celebrity Pictures. Well, after two years of successful Mickey Mouse and Silly Symphony cartoons, Walt Disney confronted Powers in 1930 about the money due to Disney from the distribution deal because they were getting very little in return for these very successful cartoon shorts. Powers responded by responded to this by signing Walt's head animator Ub Iwerks and musical director Carl Stalling to an exclusive deal to create an animation studio, which did not last very long. And and Ub would end up returning to um, the Walt Disney Studio a few years later. And this was January twenty first, nineteen thirty. This was. Ub's fifth anniversary to the day um, with the Walt Disney Company. So, so a big, uh, quite a, every time Walt seemed to go to New York (laughs) to confront somebody about something, he would get bad news. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that is, I'm glad we didn't have the same one. Uh, I wanted to stay on theme just like you like doing usually every now and then. Uh, so I was looking at January 24th of 2007 when Finding Nemo, the uh, 
now it's the big blue and beyond. But uh, when Finding Nemo, the musical finally had its grand opening, it was in previews for for quite a while. But of course, Finding Nemo, the musical now Finding Nemo, the big blue and beyond has been running all the way since back then at Disney's Animal Kingdom. So uh, the the Jungle Book show didn't work out in that theater. The Tarzan Rock show didn't work out there. But uh, Finding Nemo, the musical, sure did. And, of course, it's been kind of whittled down a little bit uh, as, you know, as many things <laughs> do uh, go through at Walt Disney World. It's been just kind of... Uh, cut up a little bit and and changed but you know that that kept it having longevity so it's worth it but the show is uh you know if you haven't ever seen it before which i hope anyone listening to this can say that hope everyone listening to this can say that they've seen it before it's it's just so so wonderful the music is so catchy mm-hmm. the the puppetry in it is is beautiful i believe done by uh curry the same one who did all the puppets for the Lion King uh, musical, and then also the the worked on the floats for uh, Rivers of Light. Uh, rest in peace, over <laughs> the Animal Kingdom. Uh, so just 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 stunning. Uh, the look of the entire show, the the songs, the performers are just fantastic and you know anytime you're missing that original show you can always go back and listen to the entire soundtrack for it but it's uh it, it's definitely a, a memorable a memorable show one of the one of the best ones that they've produced at Walt Disney World it's not I as agree. good as uh, the the legend of the or the Lion King show at Animal Kingdom but it's it's up there mm-hmm. oh i agree i really i enjoy the show very much and and I like the the new version of it. So, but uh, yeah, they just they made a big deal about it. Like, well, we got to add in finding ne- finding Dory to the Finding Nemo story, and it's like, well, they didn't really do that. It's no, so it's mm. yeah, <laughs> they could have done more with it. But yeah. it, regardless, I'm I'm happy that it still exists in Animal Kingdom. I'm hoping that it'll exist for a while, but we'll have to see what happens with with that entire dino land area because really that's it's taken up space right at the edge of dino land before you get to asia that they could easily utilize that for something else but i feel like walt disney world always needs shows they need Mm -hmm. they need big buildings that just suck up people and finding nemo is perfect for that i agree with you and that's why you know i was so disappointed and we've talked about it before when they didn't build that theater in the magic kingdom because that is a park that really needs a building and a show that will take up, you know, suck up um, a lot of guests and all that. With still air conditioning. That they surprise <laughs> us one day and like, hey, guess what? We are having it. Actually, we're mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna finally do it and and bring that back. I would. And nothing would make me happier than that because I was excited for that theater. I was too. But then look at Disneyland. Both of our theaters are dark. <laughs> so true. We have Very them true. and we don't seem to know what to do with ours. So Yeah, you, you got me there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, speaking of important dates in Disney history, I had a date last week. January 13th was my 11th anniversary with the Diz. So, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that's when I started out doing a... I was a guest on the 
the old Disneyland edition to where um, Tom Bell invited me to talk about the Snow White exhibit at the uh, Walt Disney Family Museum. And the, the rest is history, as they say. Yes, and I think is. I've talked about it on the show before. So did but you... Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, 11 years. That's a, that's a, a good... Yeah. That's a long time, actually. Yes, it is. So. Yes, it is. So. For the Diz. <laughs> 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 well, for anywhere, really, so, <laughs> yeah, these days. <laughs> so, now, um, did you get to see? Um, well, no, because you were running, so you probably didn't yeah. get to see Soul, Pixar's Soul, in the theater. I, not yet. I have I have a ticket booked for uh, later in the week since it's still running. Um, oh, good. Weirdly okay. enough, it's not showing at our our. Uh, Disney Springs AMC, but it, it's showing it another one that I like going to. So I, assuming I don't get too busy and have to cancel it, I, I will be able to see it in theaters. Yeah. Well, I went and uh, I was the only one in the theater. I had a private screening, basically, of Soul. And from what I heard over the weekend, it did not do well in the theater, unfortunately. And, you know, even though I'd seen it on Disney+, Plus, it is a different experience seeing it on a big screen. Um, and I enjoyed it even more than I remember enjoying it when I first saw it on Disney+. Plus. It was delightful. And maybe it's just because of where I am in my life, the message of the film really resonated with me more. Um just thoroughly enjoyed it. So I, I, you know, now I, and I was thinking though, but you know, for little children, this would not, this would just go over their heads. And this is more middle school, high school and up, I think would start to get the message of the film. Yeah. It's my issue with the movie was, uh, I think it was more centered around just the fact that it, didn't feel like it came alive on the TV watching it at home. Mm -hmm. And I loved the music. I thought the voice acting in it was great. I mm -hmm. thought the look of it, especially, you know, the, the, the really crazy visuals of it. Um, I, I thought I, you know, there, there's a couple parts that uh, I didn't enjoy with character development, but overall I just kept finding myself being like, I, it's, I find it hard to pay attention to it at home because I know I see Pixar movies in the theater. So I always struggled at connecting to it, but I'm hoping I'm lucky enough that I get to see it and, and I'll be able to see it in a different way because of that theater environment with great sound and just having it shown it's such a, in such a big way. I think, I think that'll make a big difference. I wish more people were seeing it, but how do you, how do you get people in? You know, tickets still cost money and okay, well you can sit at home and play it on Disney plus now, or you can go and, and see it. And, you know, a lot of times in those situations, the people who say, well, if you put it in a theater, I'll go see it. They don't end up showing up. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and I don't think Disney's marketing them very well because I know a lot of people I talk to have no idea that Disney's releasing three films. No, not um, at all. They the threw it out there once and just, forgot about it it should they really should be showing it in tv spots and you know just just really running it making mm -hmm. sure that people are acting like it's a brand new release you know maybe even confuse some people saying did did i see that maybe well let's go see it mm -hmm. like, try try a little bit 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Now, th- now it wasn't pl- even though I did get an email from Regal Theaters that they are showing those films. It's not playing at the Regal Theaters in our area. So I went, which I'm sort of happy about because at our Regal, they show before a film 30 minutes of television commercials and previews, sometimes repeating the commercials and all that. And so I, they've taught me not to get to the film on time. So, um, but it was, so I had to see it at another theater and they, they had preview only of four films. They were four family films, which was great. Aquafina's in every single one of them. Every one basically never changing her voice (laughs) exactly and and i've talked about this before i feel she's a one-note actress what she does is excellent i find her annoying i have not gone to films because of her and she's in four it's the same character it was the same voice the same inflections the same everything and um I just thought she has made a career out of this one character type. I mean, it is amazing. So it is kudos to her. I am not seeing any of those movies that got previewed because of that, but kudos to her, you know, because I, I I like her and stuff every now and then, but really, really, she has done that where it's just the exact same character in every single thing. But I mean, there's I guess there's a need for it. It's just from the voice acting side of it. It's it's where you wish back for, you know, the different times where it's like you, you have like a Mel Blanc or classic voice actors where it's one person is doing you know, 50 different voices and just mm-hmm. has that. And now it's like, nope, we just want one person to do this one voice and everything. Cause we, we have her on the, the female front and then we have Chris Pratt doing it on, the, <laughs> on the male front. So it's yeah. just like, cannot, cannot escape. I mean, whoever's making movies right now, they're clearly just zoning in and be like, we want someone who's like this person and someone, the wacky saying, sidekick. Well, well, let's just ask them. Let's ask them. Maybe they'll do it. Mm-hmm. You get the same yeah. voice in every single movie, but hey. That's... Yeah, but you know, I, I couldn't do it. So, you know, no one's hiring me to do those voices. So, <laughs> you know, good for her. So, anyway. well, I mean, based on my performance last week, I'm not I'm not lining up with any jobs. For, oh, I don't uh, know. You could be you could be the male Aquafina, Craig. Yeah, you're so nice. I, I don't think <laughs> I have the drive energy any of that (laughs) (laughs) anyway but i just couldn't believe it i was i was just stunned by the end of the previews but anyway but anyway but go and see soul and then i think february i think it's turning red and then march it is luca so even though turning red, I didn't care for it. I thought maybe it'll be a different experience in the theater. So I'm looking forward to that. And Luca, I liked. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that in the theater. So anyway, 
I used several resources for this episode, including a book, the Epcot Explorers Encyclopedia, A Guide to Walt Disney World's Greatest Theme Park by R.A. Peterson. Some websites and articles I used include the Disney Wiki, The Living Seas, um, Park Lore, The Living Seas, The Nautical Tale of Epcot's Undersea Pavilion from Concept to Clownfish, and The Living Seas at Intercot.com. So, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? As always, you can find me on the different shows I'm on and as part of the Diz Unlimited podcast network. Uh, you can email me, Craig, at DisneyInfo.com, and you can find me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at, uh, at Teleclaster. What about you, Michael? Uh, until next time, you can connect with me by sending me messages at MichaelBowling at DisneyInfo.com. On Twitter, I'm and bowling one two one Facebook Michael Bowling dash connecting with Walt Instagram Michael Bowling the Diz. You can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at connecting Walt. I guess I should say X, but I just can't bring myself to it. I don't know why. If you'd like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studios, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives, my Disney history episodes, on the link Craig includes in our episode description. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother, Roy. Roy.